You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge, life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. The 2020 fire season continues to rage on, bringing with it new fire disasters. Now is the point at which we got really scared. Yeah, yeah, it's bad. And yet more massive firefighting mobilizations. We're on our probably 60 My Strike team. It's an all too familiar story, especially for those, once again, caught in the path of the flames. This is the third different one that we've had beyond a joke, and it's getting to be very frustrating. I'm Keith Manconi. This is KCBS In-Depth, and today on the program, we are again spending the show reflecting on a week of wildfire. This time, it's the Glass Fire, which since last Sunday has advanced rapidly through Napa and Sonoma counties, burning some of the very same areas that were set to light just three years ago during the 2017 Tubbs and Nuns fires. So with this cycle of fire disaster just continuing, we're going to take a closer look at how wine country became so combustible. And then a bit later in the program, we'll also hear how the hard-hit wine industry is responding to the crisis. But first, we are going to get our bearings by speaking with someone who's been providing on-the-ground reporting all week. That would be KCBS reporter Holly Kwan, who joins us now. Thanks for being on KCBS In-Depth, Holly. Always good to be with you. So you have been chasing fire throughout the evacuation zone, as we said, all week uh, in Santa Rosa, Calistoga, and these are areas that uh, you are no stranger to. You've been reporting from them for the last several years as we've seen one fire after another. How does the burn zone uh, map onto those previous fires that we've seen? Is it? It's not exactly a one-to-one match, but there is a little bit of overlap, no? There is a little bit of overlap. I was in Santa Rosa on the Sonoma County side um, earlier this week. I was in Calistoga on the Napa Valley side. And, you know, when you, you look at a map, uh, you can see where previous fires have burned. And then you overlay the current um, fire perimeter. And you can see that there are some places that didn't burn. I used to think, gee, you know, this is happening so much. You know, what else is up there to burn? But if you, you can see that where some of it, that the fuels are, there are trees that haven't burned in, in previous fires, and they are super dry. And it's not just that, it's the branches and it's the brush and things that are fallen off and that haven't been cleaned up. And those are the things that are, are igniting and also blowing uh, the embers and, and catching houses on fire. Yeah, so still plenty of fuel that's up there. How are the residents taking all this? I mean, I, I, I imagine for folks, this is just, you know, here we go again in uh, the most horrific sense. Yeah, I mean, you would think it's it's not routine, although it starts to feel routine. And that's, kind of, that's really unfortunate. I mean, there are people who have evacuated year after year. There are people who lost their homes uh, in the Tubbs fire in, in 2017. And, and you know, they, they know how this is going to go. Some people who evacuated um, late last time maybe chose to go earlier because they know, you know, what it was like, or maybe they chose to wait this time. Um, Do they, what do they bring? Do they bring, you know, all of their, their electronics and their musical equipment and their insurance papers and their medications, or do you have enough time and you're just grabbing your pets and your shoes and, and making a run for it. I mean, I think that nobody wants to wait that long, but sometimes in the early stages of these fires, when the winds kick up, you don't really know um, 
overnight, especially in the nighttime hours, you may not have as much time um, to, to leave as, you know, the, the officials would like to give you when they send out these evacuation warnings um, and, then evacu- and then become orders. Uh, those people at least maybe have a couple of hours to pack some things and get somewhere safe. Yeah. And, and, and what about the emotional toll? Uh, I mean, the cumulative effect year by year, is, is, it, is it adding up? It's draining. It's draining for a lot of people. And it may actually change what they do. I mean, most people might think, gosh, year after year, am I going to come back? Am I going to stay here? How many times do I want to have to go through doing this? There was a resident that I talked to in Skyhawk. That's a development that's in the hills above Santa Rosa. Some beautiful houses up there. And they were on fire when, when I got up there. And it was evacuated. But this guy, Josh Sahota, decided he was going to stay behind. He, uh, His parents lost their home in the 2017 Cubs fire. He saw what... Um, what they went through. They lost all of their picture albums. And so he had no pictures of himself growing up to show even his kids. So uh, he wanted to stay behind and help, you know, defend his house and put out spot fires. So he stayed behind and he really worried about, you know, what growing up around all of this, you know, repeated calamity was going to have on his kids. My kids don't know any different. That's That's the bad part. You know, they have COVID and then you have the fires of 2017, 2000. 19 and now this in their backyard i don't i i never had to deal with anything like this when i was a kid you know it's a lot of calamity yeah so they're growing up in a really tough era especially here in sonoma county wow so you can hear there the toll that this persistent uh, recurring disaster is taking on not just one generation but many Uh, so uh, very eye-opening stuff Thank you so much for your reporting, Holly. That was KCBS reporter Holly Kwan. Happy to help. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi. Today, well, it seems there's just no break for wine country from wildfire disaster. But why is that? Why has this region been taking such an unfair share of the fire burden, especially over the past few years? For some insight, we're going to welcome onto the program now Lania Quinn-Davidson. She's a fire advisor for the UC Cooperative Extension. Lania Quinn-Davidson, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. So how about it? How did wine country become fire country? Well, wine country is the quintessential Mediterranean climate and um, and vegetation type. And, you know, it dries out every summer and there is a, there are a lot of trees and brush and it's it's very overgrown in some places due to a, a lack of management. And so it's not surprising that fire is going to burn in those places. And um, I do get nervous sometimes when I drive through there and you see houses embedded in these in these thickets of trees and brush. And it's it's a vulnerable place. And I, I think it's it's not surprising to see the level of fire that it's had in recent years. So I suppose it's just a combination of the one hand, uh, things are getting drier, that's making the fires worse. And uh, on the other, uh, we're building in places we didn't build before. So those fires are a lot more damaging. Exactly. Yeah. And everyone wants their privacy and, and you know, likes all the trees and, and brush around their homes to kind of keep it quiet and closed off. But that, that pre- presents some real risk. Speaking there with Lania Quinn-Davidson, a fire advisor for the UC Cooperative Extension. Now, the, the next question I wanted to raise with you and kind of the, the biggest question that I'm really curious about, uh, we've been speaking a lot on this program about the importance of prescribed burns as a way of mitigating fire risks. Um, and so I, I can imagine a lot of folks out there, they're seeing wine country this year once again 
up in flames. It's an area that has seen fires, as we've been discussing so many times in recent years. Wouldn't we expect it to, by now, be seeing a little bit more fire protection? If, it, if it's burned so much, how can it be burning uh, once again? And we should clarify that the, the burn zones do not overlap uh, a lot, a lot between the 2017 fires and the glass fire uh, from this past week. Uh, but there is a little bit of overlap. And so I, I, I guess the question then would be, how much does an area need to burn before you start seeing those gains in terms of reduced fire risk? Well, when we think about how fire might affect future fire on the landscape, it, we really need to consider the fuels that are burning and how, how quickly those can come back or respond to fire. And that also depends on the way that the fire, the original fire burns through an area. So we see in high elevation areas um, and forested areas that often it takes quite a long time for the fuels to accumulate for wildfire to carry through an area. So the, you know, the, the effects of a prescribed fire or a wildfire can be longer lived in some systems like that. In a place like Sonoma County, where things grow really quickly, I mean, it's one of our, our best agricultural areas in the state, things grow well there and things come back from fire pretty quickly. And if you're burning in an area, if you have a wildfire that burns through shrubs or, or trees that re-sprout, things can come back in, in a number of years and burn again. And especially if there's grass component. Mm. So it, it matters a lot what it is exactly, what kind of vegetation is there in particular. Obviously, uh, if, if trees are burning, that takes quite a bit longer to grow back than uh, shrubs or grass. So then when we talk about the benefits of some amount of fire on the landscape, where do those benefits come from? Well, I think another important component is to think about the difference between prescribed fire and wildfire. And when wildfire moves through an area, it, it, you know, at a high severity, it can kill all the existing vegetation, but leave it standing there. And then you develop, you know, you have the, the stuff re-sprouting, the grass growing back, and you end up with a lot of fuel that's available. When we use prescribed fire, we're using it under very specific conditions and usually trying to burn at low severity, clean up the fuels, but not kill the trees or the brush to the point where they're all sprouting back. So there is a major difference there just between those two types of fire. And the fires from 2017 and since, many of them have been high severity fires that have simply killed all the vegetation in their path? Well, in some places and um, and created a, you know, a more kind of rigorous response by those, those types of plants that re-sprout. But also the grass component, you know, down in, in the area um, that we're talking about, it's a really productive landscape for vegetation to grow. And so things grow back quickly and they grow back really thick. In the last few years, we've had really impressive grass crops in California. And those grasses are available every summer when things dry out. And so then if this vegetation is going to grow back year on year, what uh, what can we hope to accomplish from the uh, sorts of prescribed burns that uh, you're you're talking about? What does actual fire fuel mitigation look like if it's successful? Well, in the more forested areas, we can we can be burning you know at any time of year and be reducing fuels and impacting future fire. In in those grass areas and the woodland areas, I think we really do need to start thinking more strategically about how we use prescribed fire. And that's going to involve thinking about the location as well as the timing, the time of year. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity to use prescribed fire in the spring and early summer and actually affect the, the grass fuel component 
um, in, you know, throughout the summer and into fire season. We're not doing a lot of that. We don't see a lot of spring burning or, or early summer burning, but there is an opportunity there to use prescribed fire. But we also need to be considering the other tools that are in our toolboxes. And I think grazing is an important one in these more grassy areas. Uh, also mowing and, and doing other types of fuels reductions around our communities to make us more resilient. Mm. So I, I, I suppose, and, and I, I may be guilty of this myself, but uh, the, the image in, in the heads of many folks that have been trying to follow along in this conversation about prescribed burns and fuel mitigation, uh, that image might have been that you have one big burn and California is reset back to its um, you know, pre-industrial days, the landscape is healthy, and we can go back to a more natural, normal, easier-to-stand fire season. The picture that you're painting, rather, is one in which this is really something that needs to be monitored year on year and uh, will take a lot of diligence uh, pretty much every season. Absolutely. I think that's what we're learning about living with fire in California, is that this is a, a long-term commitment. It's a relationship that we're building with fire. And that fire is part of our California culture. And so we need to be thinking about it all the time, not just during fire season. We need to be thinking about it year round, what we can be doing. Um, we need to be thinking about the frequency of the treatments we're doing. These are not, you know, one time and walk away. It's something that, that's going to have to happen year after year in certain places and, and every five years in other places and every 10 years in other places. So we need to be getting to that level of nuance and understanding how fire plays a role and how we can make it work for us. I think we also need to be thinking about the other kinds of things that we can do to be more resilient beyond just fuels treatments and prescribed fire. So there are some really important um, bills passing right now in the state of California about home hardening and how we can make our actual homes more resilient, how we build our communities, where we build our communities, these are all going to be pieces of that puzzle. And you know, prescribed fire and fuels treatments are, are just one of the many tools we have available to us. Uh, would you say, does it seem likely that any of the fires that are currently burning would have any of those uh, benefits that you're talking about right now, whether we're talking about uh, the massive North Complex fire or whether we're talking about the glass fire? Are, are there any areas that may be the sort that would have the, the benefits that would limit fire risks in future years? Definitely. Yeah, I think all the fires that um, that are burning in California right now are going to have areas that are doing good work and reducing fuels and, you know, restoring fire in a good way. And then they're also going to have areas that, that are not so good and that are burning at higher severity and might even, you know, change the entire forest type from forest to brush or from brush to grass. So it, it's, it's really complicated. It's a patchwork and it's going to take a lot of effort for us to assess those areas and decide how to move forward with them. I think a lot of areas are going to require some post-fire treatment and some intervention to, to move forward in a good way. All right. Well, a complicated picture that you're painting right there, but uh, hopefully one that we can all learn from and learn to adapt to. We have been speaking once again to Lania Quinn Davidson, a fire advisor for the UC Cooperative Extension. Lena Quinn-Davidson, thank you so much. Thank you. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth, our weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life here in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Our topic today, well, it's another year, another punishing fire season for wine country. As we've been discussing over this past week, 
The glass fire has been scorching large swaths of land in Napa and Sonoma counties, some of that land the very same that burned in just the past few years. But this time the damage to the region's world-renowned wine industry already looks to be much worse than what we saw even in 2017, as reports come in of one winery after another damaged or destroyed in flame. To provide some perspective on this unfolding disaster, we're joined now by Michael Haney. He is the executive director of the Sonoma County Vintners Association. That's a trade group representing hundreds of local wineries. Uh, Michael Haney, welcome to the program. Uh, Sorry it is not on better circumstances. Well, Keith, I'm still glad to be here anyway. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So the glass fire, unfortunately, it's burning through areas with an awful lot of wineries in it and uh, awful lot are seeing damage, as we've mentioned. We should note real quick that this program is pre-recorded rather early on in the weekend. So rather than discussing the specific damage and uh, the the numbers that have come out so far, uh, we are going to skip that for now just because uh, this is such a fast evolving story. We don't want to give anything that will be out of date by the time that this airs. Uh, But what uh, I was hoping we could discuss instead is what are you hearing from uh, the winery operators and owners that you're in touch with about the the sorts of challenges that they're up against and what they're doing to stand the the best defense that they can, what they're what they're doing to prepare? Well, you know, I think obviously it's a a challenging time for vintners uh, in wine country in general. And yes, we do. Um, stay in touch with them quite a bit. One of the things, though, that our industry's learned a lot from the 2017 fire is, for sure, our industry is, has been way more prepared, whether it's in defensible space or or water storage or electrical generation. So that's been a benefit as well. But at the same time, um, you know, obviously, any type of fire incidents uh, obviously has an, an impact on sales and tourism and visitation. Um, you know, the saving grace um, for wine country is, of course, these fire, you know, Sonoma County in itself is over a million acres large. So right now, these fires that we're dealing with in the glass incident uh, are obviously um, uh, located in just one specific area. So the whole county obviously is not affected, but um, uh, the wineries that are evacuated in dealing with that, it's all obviously a great challenge. And of course, it's a challenge during a busy, very busy time of year for us. And it's a challenge on top of quite a a few other challenges. Obviously, this is a year where we've been dealing with pandemic, and that's made uh, it more difficult to draw in tourists. It's also a year that we're seeing the effect of climate change, not just in terms of uh, the fires themselves, but also uh, making it more difficult for growers of of all varieties to grow crops uh, on the land that, you know, used to support uh, certain kinds of crops. So uh, really, uh, crisis on top of a crisis is the the term that we're hearing a lot these days. They surely have piled up on each other this year, Keith, that's for sure. I I know with uh, the COVID-19 mitigation, you know, one of the things that our organization did is we worked with Napa Valley Vintners and others uh, to produce um, protocols where consumers could come and visit wineries and have a fantastic, safe, and wonderful experience. And so we really felt great about our wine community's efforts in regards to handling the pandemic and being able to mitigate that for consumers and sales and so forth. But then, of course, uh, now there's another layer of of challenge that we deal with. But I will tell you, one of the inspirational things for me and I know for our wine community as a whole is uh, our growers and our vintners are extraordinary people. Um, 85% of our vineyards here in Sonoma County are family-owned for generations. 
Um, and they've been through tough times before. They put their heads down, they pushed through it, and um, uh, we're looking forward to getting through this one as well. Yeah, is that what you're coming up against? Uh, I wanted to ask you about that. Just general uh, can-do sort of spirit. Uh, I mean, the the average human reaction, I would think, would just be to get discouraged by everything that's happening. But uh, it sounds like you're encountering a lot of resilience. Absolutely. You know, and that's a word that is used a lot to describe our wine community out here is resilience. Um, they're extraordinarily strong. Now, don't get me wrong. This is frustrating. This is challenging. It is heartbreaking at times. Um, but at the same time, they, these are generational families who um, this is what we do for a living. This is our, li- our life, actually. So they keep pushing forward into creativity uh, that they uh, develop in mitigating these challenges is, is very inspirational. So, um, you know, wine country is going to be fine. Uh, we're going to push through this challenge as we have others and still produce some of the greatest wines in the world. But you're right. It is a very inspirational and motivating thing for me, at least, to be able to work with such an incredible uh, community. What can be done uh, from year to year in terms of making these properties more resilient? Uh, um, is it is it a matter of getting more fire breaks in, uh, working more closely with Cal Fire? What, what are the steps that you're hearing the owners are taking? Uh, it's a great question, and it's something we've been working on since 2017 in and, and working with CAL FIRE and working with our city fire departments and in, in, in fire and forest management uh, agencies. Uh, you see wineries doing a lot more defensible uh, land clearing to be able to provide uh, more clearance. You're looking at wineries having auxiliary water supplies now that either they or CAL FIRE can tap into. I talked to a winery this morning, uh, actually in Napa Valley, uh, where Cal Fire has tapped into their uh, water supply, and it is a huge help. Uh, of course, electrical generation wineries are trying to be more independent because obviously in these situations, uh, power is lost. Uh, so there's a number of steps that we can do. But the one good thing that we see about wine country and fires is vineyards, as we saw in 2017, as, as we're seeing now, um, are natural fire breaks from fire. Uh, you can see aerial photos where the fire roars up to a vineyard and stops. Um, so that is a great thing. A lot of our wineries, of course, have those around them. Not all have that. Some of them are in, in very wooded areas, but to be, uh, to work on that defensible space is something that many of our wineries have been doing. A lot of ways that these operators are, are learning and adapting and uh, protecting themselves. One thing that is uh, perhaps especially troubling this year is the smoke damage. What mm. do we know yet about the potential for the smoke, uh, so-called smoke taint for this uh, for this year's grapes? Could that potentially ruin the crop? Uh, that's a good question. And um, right now, it's almost too early to tell the extent of the smoke exposure. I can tell you a lot of the smoke exposure was transitory, which we find and we see smoke can come into a vineyard in the morning, can be gone by the afternoon. I've witnessed that dozens of times here, as well as, as I was talking earlier, you know, Sonoma County is is a very large county and not all of it, it had the same smoke exposure as other areas of the county. But the one thing I think you can say about this is, while the smoke exposure is surely a challenge for our, our growers and surely a challenge for our winemakers, I can tell you it won't be a challenge for the consumers because the wines that do make it to the shelf in 2020 uh, will be fantastic. The, uh, wineries simply won't release wines that have smoke exposure. Now, can I talk to you about the volume of wine from 2020? I don't know yet. There's, there could be less, obviously, because wines wineries won't release uh, wines that have been affected. But uh, 
what will be out there will be good, but I think we'll know something here in the next uh, couple of months to come. Speaking once again to Michael Haney, the executive director of the Sonoma County Vintners Association. You know, we've been discussing a lot in this conversation resilience and how many of these owner-operators are coming together to support one another through this really difficult time. I I was wondering if there were any stories you might want to highlight to uh, give us a sense of what's been going on there. Well, I I can tell you, uh, one is um, we had a winery call us who had just picked a a fairly large amount of, of, um, of grapes and uh, this was actually not from the glass fire incident. It was from the, the fire before this year. And they could not get into uh, their winery because of the evacuation notice. And they called us literally from the side of the road saying, we've got trucks and trucks of grapes. We can't process them and we don't know what to do. Can you help us? And of course, they were quite concerned about that. So I got on the phone. And literally, and this is true, within six minutes, I had six wineries ready to take their grapes without question. We didn't even care who it was. They knew there was a winery in trouble. They said, you tell them to come over here. Our guys will process it for them. And, and I called that winery back and they were almost in tears because of, uh, of gratitude. So those type of stories happen all the time. And when we've had power outages, for example, with um, PG&E uh, uh, shutdowns, We've had wineries do the same thing, tell people to come process here, tell people to bring their grapes here for cold storage because we'll take care of them. Uh, I see that all the time, and it, 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 it's so rewarding. Yeah, just speaks to the, the strong community. Despite all the, you know, the, the giant amount of land that's uh, being covered up there, the sort of small town, small community <laughs> feel that a lot of people are displaying. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, very closing thought. I mean, uh, it's been remarked upon before that 2020 is uh, certainly a time where many of us could use a glass of wine. Not that <laughs> that's uh, in moderation, of course. Uh, how, how can folks show their support for these wineries uh, that are having a rougher time of it? Thank you for that question. You know, one of the easiest ways is to go out and buy a bottle of Sonoma County wine and enjoy it. Um, uh, and when, uh, obviously, uh, come out and see us. There's still wonderful places to come see in Sonoma County. And, uh, but the easiest thing on your way home tonight or, or next week, pick up a bottle of wine, enjoy it, and lift a glass to Sonoma County. Yeah, and I can uh, attest to that myself. Uh, just wandering around Sonoma County, even at the height of the wildfire season, it's it's still a beautiful place to be. And um, I, I, I feel like people get the, the wrong impression when they hear about all the fires that are happening. It's uh, It does not mar the land. It's still a, a magical place. So it surely it's is. just something to keep in mind. Absolutely. We have been speaking today to Michael Haney. He, once again, is the executive director of the Sonoma County Vintners Association. Michael Haney, thank you so much for sharing your perspective. We really appreciate it. Keith, thank you so much for having me. We really appreciate it. This has been KCBS In-Depth, discussing the impact of this past week of wildfire disaster on wine country. Again, important to note that the show is pre-recorded early on in the weekend. For the very latest information about this story and many others, keep it tuned to KCBS, the Bay Area's news station. Signing off, for KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Manconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next time.
You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.